This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael. You are joining us during the rise and fall of Mars Hill Month here on the show. Pastor Michael, how are you feeling to be here recording our first part of our reaction to the aftermath? It's it's exciting to be this far. <laughs> it's been a long <laughs> That's road. That's right. And it's exciting to be uh, this close to the aftermath of our reaction to the aftermath. Perhaps we will call this after the rise and fall of Mars Hill part one. Uh, my wife really wanted our podcasting to go well today. She brought me a insane drink full of guard of uh, garlic, turmeric and apple cider vinegar that she had me take right before. So if I'm sounding different today, it's exclusively that drink, not a new <laughs> mic, nothing like that. No other big changes, but. Well, I just drank a glass of chocolate milk, which is probably the worst thing you can drink before recording a podcast. <laughs> probably so, is. <laughs> so Audio. if I start clearing my throat, I would say I'm sorry, but I chose to drink it. So I don't know if I'm actually that sorry. He's not that sorry. So we are here to cover the final non-bonus episode of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill aftermath. That's what it's called. Not the aftermath. We're in we're in the time where we're we're dropping articles. We're in aftermath. And this episode of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill is is very long, just like the last one was. And I, I do feel a bit bamboozled, I won't lie. I think in our last episode, I, I took a good deal of time praising how well constructed the episode was, praising how um, how high quality the journalism was. Well, I did that and then was treated to this episode, <laughs> which is not the worst episode because this, the Bobby Knight episode is the worst episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. But this one is pretty is pretty bad it's very yeah, very it, long it's close for you at least it is it's close, close. because i think one thing so we are going to cover this in two parts because this episode has two very different components that they want to do that are woven throughout they want to describe things that happened after mars hill closed but they also want to relitigate once again some of the big controversial issues of Driscoll's teaching, of what he acted like, um, you know, these big themes they've been wanting to deal with throughout. And so we are going to cover this in two parts. Today, we are going to be covering, I don't know, for some of you, it might be the more boring part, but the, the things they talked about as Mars Hill uh, died and closed. And then in our next episode, we will cover and we will litigate hard the issues that drove this show and drove us to want to do this much commentary on it. Um, I don't know if we're regretting it uh, 12 episodes in, but we're one year in, we're 12 episodes in, and we're ready to go. Uh, the other thing we'll say is a month after we record this episode, so we are calling on our listeners right now, a month after this episode, we are going to record one kind of reaction show where we look at what people how people responded to this show. Cause we have had many listeners send us blogs of all kinds of people saying, Hey, here's what this person said about the show. We want to hear your reactions. Was this show good, helpful, bad, 
what was the good, bad, and the ugly? Let us know. We are going to record an episode. We're going to use material from the audience when we do it. And so we're excited to get your opinions on the rise and fall of Mars Hill one year later. Pastor Michael, are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Let's dive in. I'm ready. So, so let's cover what happened. And I want to say we are actually going to cover a lot of what didn't happen, of what they didn't cover. Now, everyone knows when we describe each episode, we describe the thesis of the episode. We're going to save that for the second part because that deals more with the themes that were driving it. But I want to say that they had, I think actually, I, I'm going to give them credit to some of the things I really felt like they missed along the way. I think they had some very limited options of the way they could actually cover the aftermath of Mars Hill. Because when I was listening to it, the thing that I couldn't help but feel was the biggest miss and that they don't really cover is what happens what was it like when Driscoll announced she's quitting? What happens in the time where he's leaving and then Rick Warren is now going to preach the final sermon? They've talked to Rick Warren. What did Rick Warren think about all of that? Um, and obviously the thing they can't cover because they can't get Driscoll to talk to them no matter what is, what, what was the process of, I'm in Seattle with this insane severance package, which we'll get to, to, oh man, will we get to that? <laughs> to I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, planting the Trinity Church, right? Those are the like, and, and again, they covered some things with the churches that were planted and what they did with real estate. But these huge questions that are so interesting, they they didn't cover. I even think they kind of yada, yada, yada over Driscoll's media appearances over that year. And I actually think that may have been one of the most interesting things to really try and figure out where he was at and what he was thinking along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's fascinating. Um, oh, I, you know, it was interesting listening to this episode again uh, because I was trying to think through, you know, when all of this went down, I was like, I was out of the, you know, YRR Driscoll face, you know, whatever, whenever that was like it, it felt to me, um, for instance, like when Driscoll was going to plant another church, like he had been out of the picture forever. Like it seemed like it had been many, many years. Right. But it had only been like a year since everything right. collapsed. Uh, but because I was just I was outside of it all now, I wasn't really paying attention or or tracking with it as much. Um, I just it felt like a lot much longer period of time. So I imagined actually what it's like for those people there who like watched it all go down, they feel pretty burned. And then like, you know, within a year and a half or whatever, he's planting another church um, that that would be pretty brutal. Yeah. 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 I do think that that is probably it because I do think most of us, especially with how short our attention spans are and most of us losing interest in Driscoll at this point did feel like, Oh, I guess, Oh, he's back now. You know, he's kind of been gone. I want so they miss this right they don't even interview they don't even really get interviews with the people who invited Driscoll on these shows and these conferences I wish they would have that's one of the things I was thinking man it would have been great to talk to some of those people why did you do that and maybe they wouldn't talk right they right. didn't say that they wouldn't be interviewed there are a lot of people at the end that they say wouldn't uh, interview for this which is notable and we, we can talk about later I, I would like um, to bring it up now because I, okay. I think it is an interesting question so now, eventually, Tim Keller does give 
Cosper an interview. As we know, has been a it wasn't yep. a special episode, but he lists all kinds of people who won't talk to him. John Piper, new leader, uh, the who was not now no longer again, who the new leader of X29, Matt Chandler. I mean, he lists a group of people connected to this story who won't talk to them. Why, why, why were so many people rejecting their interviews? This is an, this is one of the interesting questions to me. Um, now I feel like having, like having now the, the hindsight of listening to it all, you do hear how, you know, some, something like this could easily put like a really negative spin on no matter how you interview, right? Like it's, Mm. it's, it's got an agenda and they're going to try to push that. And so maybe just maybe there were some people that were like, yeah, I don't trust where this is going. Although most of this, my assumption is most of these interviews they were asked for before Mm. it actually happened. Um, Also, you know, uh, just like if Christianity today reaches out to you, I don't know. I mean, I don't, have a great trust in christianity today so um so that would be one thing however mike cosper was in a lot of these circles i mean he had yeah. he has connections he to a lot some of, of these, these guys. people he did he knows some of these people and and so the fact that they still wouldn't take an interview um to me sounds like they're just trying to get away from this as much as possible yeah even yeah, though it- they were a big part of it even though they helped uh with propping up driscoll in various ways they it does sound to me like they're trying to distance themselves man because it would have been such a killer interview to get to ask john piper does john piper have any regrets (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, man man. yeah like it it, that right there like um it would be really nice if some of these guys who aren't just like radical progressives now yeah (laughs) it'd be nice if some of them would come out and say oh yeah here's where we did make some mistakes Right. And, you know, to to uh, his credit, in part, it does seem Tim Keller did come around and, and uh, do some bit of an interview, uh, but it would have been nice to hear from a lot more of these guys. Yeah, I do think it's a you know, the, the question in the end is of is is CT's reputation and where people thought this was going so bad that people weren't willing to do it. Do people are people really just trying to hide from any question of this? which you know is bad and there's it's probably some combination um but i do think we should um play a clip that was uh that we did actually get again they kind of just oh yeah he gave a bunch of these over this year between planning a church they did include at some length one clip when mark driscoll went to robert morris's gateway church conference and had been not was said he was not going to be a speaker but this is what the pastor there said and again, I would have just loved to hear a little bit from this guy um, in 2021. But here we go. In a room with a few thousand people to talk about a scheduling change. That change happened because Mark Driscoll had withdrawn from speaking at the conference. Morris talked about his personal relationship with Mark, and he said not to trust everything that you read on the Internet. He did make some mistakes. Now here's what I figure. We've got two choices. One is we could crucify him. But since someone's already been crucified for him, 
The other choice is we could restore him with a spirit of gentleness, considering ourselves, lest we are also tempted. And it's very sad that in the church, we're the only army that shoots at our wounded. And I want you to stop it. I really do. Thank you. I'd like for you to show your love for him. I'd like for you to just welcome him. Mark, would you stand up? This is Mark Driscoll. There's a level at which I get the spirit of this. Let's let's stop there. I think Driscoll speaks in a second, but let's talk about, you know, Robert Morris. Uh, you know, everyone really likes it. It's such good rhetoric when you get to switch the words around. We could either crucify him for this or I mean, man, like He's got a, he has got a lot, he's just got a riled up crowd ready to go. Pastor Michael, what do you think about uh, this? this, I mean, this is just, again, mega church. This is that, that mega church life though, right? It is. It's so weird um, to like have a guy be like, yeah, this pastor just blew up his church and he made some mistakes, Mistakes uh, but let's restore him. What does that even mean? Like, what are you? what does that mean? Where, like, where is your authority? Um, but obviously, like you're saying, like, that's the mega church way, right? I mean, we just, we have the authority. We just have it. <laughs> we just have it. It's get this it's man back into a six figure salary right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not right now. Cause he's still got that right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, after this year, we, somebody has got to be giving him half a million dollars a year. Otherwise <laughs> what's the poor guy going to do? <laughs> yeah. That's what, um, that's by the way, even just hearing that, I'm gently, like, you know what gently. would have been good? You know, Mark just always talked about how his dad uh, did drywall his whole life. It probably would have been really good for Mark Driscoll to have to go and just lay drywall for the mm. next handful of years. You know, that would have been yeah. really good for him, I think. But that's I wasn't uh, I wasn't in the position where I got to decide how he would be restored. <laughs> so I did not so- have the mega church. So the interesting thing, because I let it play slightly longer, Mike Cosper even says, I kind of get the spirit of this. Is what what spirit is he? What is he? What's the what is the kernel of truth that he's that at all exists in what this guy just said? I assume it's just, hey, we want to be like nice or something, right? (laughs) I mean, we want to like we we want to make sure that everybody knows, even when they've made pretty big mistakes, that there's there's a way for them to be redeemed and a way to, uh, uh, you know, bring about some form of reconciliation. But that's not what's going on. Right. You know, this is this is literally covering up. Uh, something for a guy who's very clearly running from any responsibility, running from any repentance, who's literally literally skipped town when he had so much that he needed to be held accountable for. Right. Um, that so like there's no there's no truth in like restoration for him does not look like, hey, somebody was crucified on his behalf. So we're just going to like clap our hands and be happy for him. Like, that's right. not how this works. That's right. that's not the process that the crucified one himself laid out for us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Let's hear what Driscoll has to say when when even though he didn't want to be a speaker again, if he didn't really want to be a speaker and he didn't know this was coming, I do give him a slight amount of sympathy. Um, but I just, think, all, I so think by the way, my hunch is he knew this was coming, yeah, but he probably we can did. talk about it. Of in course, a he probably did. So appreciate it. 
The church should be a place marked by grace. But one must marvel at the fact that while a church of thousands in Seattle is in a collapse spiral, the guy at the center of it, a guy who's been found responsible for years I'm gonna skip all this. I don't want of unresolved conflict and broken relationships, somehow he gets treated as the victim in a room full of pastors and ends up invited on stage to tell his story. Thank you, Pastor Robert. Um, what do you want me to do? If you give a microphone to a preacher who's been gone for a while, he could go for a long time. There's incredible power in storytelling. Ugh, dang, I thought they've left more of that in because I've heard how long, that. How long had he been gone at this point? This is uh, just like, yeah. this is only a few weeks or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. No, so in a little bit, actually, after this clip, they have, they're talking with another guy and they're talking about how like, you know, well, this other brother like gave a powerful prophetic word over Driscoll that, you know, this is actually an opportunity for him that mm. he's going to change from being like a young man or oh, whatever yeah. to uh, being in the brother. place of a father, a brother oh, yeah. to be in the place of a father. And if you remember, this is actually exactly how Driscoll tried to spin his previous controversies, too. Right. He said he wants to be uh, more in the place of a father figure, basically, rather than what he had been doing. Um, and that makes me feel like, I mean, part of it is just I I have zero trust of mega church pastors, basically of any kind. I just like the moment I see it, I just don't trust it, especially when like with all that, like uh, flourish and all of that, like dramatism. And uh, I just, it, it just gives me the heebie jeebies a little bit and I don't trust you at all. And, but to have them just say, yep, we got a prophetic word from the Lord. That's the exact same thing that Driscoll has just been saying a few weeks before at Mars Hill, before he decided to, you know, uh, kind of tug his tail and run. Um, that makes me think that actually this is something that Driscoll was very involved in, that mm. they are talking behind the scenes and that they are trying to figure out a way to help their friend. Um, and they're trying to give him what he wants, you know, in this situation. And the discernment bloggers were um, what they were writing about is that all of Driscoll's post Mars Hill appearances were with Pentecostals of some yeah, form. mega Cares, church Pentecostal types. mega church Pentecostals. And that where was, there is little to no accountability, right? Where like it's well known that like guys who uh, have serious issues, especially with like uh, power and trying to abuse power, just get away with it and get to do whatever they want and just keep going. Right. And, right. and the moment that they that they're caught in one way, they just flip it over. And, you know, I always think of Todd Bentley, you know, Todd mm. Bentley, um, <laughs> that, you know, revivals down in Florida. I don't remember where he was. Lakeland, maybe Lakeland, Florida, revival <laughs> tents and all this. And he would like kick people in the chest to heal them. And and so like the guy was an obvious fake. He's a horrible guy. Um, and while this is all going on, he's having an affair with one of these women that's like helping with the revival and he gets divorced from his wife and then marries this woman that he's been having an affair with. And then they start a church together and a new revival together. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, the, but that's what happens in these circles. Yeah. Right. So, of course, these are the circles he goes to. And and for Driscoll, right, Driscoll then becomes the like most mild case ever. Like, oh, this will this will be super easy. <laughs> this will be easy. <laughs> Dude, we're not like having to pretend you didn't have a marriage or that you were like threatening yeah. people's oh, lives. Man. Like this is like, yeah. And so 
I think it is. Yeah, it's just crazy. And we will uh, we will someday when we come back to Driscoll after we've left this alone for a while, we will do our own full reaction to the interview where Driscoll rejects Calvinism um, because the like 30 seconds they play in the show is not the whole thing. And I think trying to dive into the psyche of that interview will be very interesting for us uh, as guys who hope you haven't rejected Calvinism. So uh, one of the most interesting things they mentioned about the Trinity church, uh, the new church Driscoll planted quote unquote, by the way, quote, uh, like the most huge air quotes I can possibly throw in, you know, um, is that there were families that followed that moved from Mars Hill to Scottsdale, Arizona to help this plant get off the ground. Well, there's gotta, I mean, even Isn't that mind again, blowing? the like, fact that Driscoll got all, all kinds of like, you know, domain names and all, all yeah. sorts of things like that. I don't think that he was like actively involved in those things while he's at Mars Hill. Right. I can't imagine that he was like spending all of his time making sure that like, you know, he had access to all of these things and he could take them with him if he left. Um, it just seemed to me when I heard that, that there's got to be a lot of people behind the scenes that were helping him that whole time. You know, at the moment that he's getting ready to leave, like they were there helping him get out of there. Yeah. Man, again, a group of people I would love to hear from the people who followed him to Scottsdale, Arizona. And have they stayed? How many have stayed? That's what I want to know, too. How many of the people oh, that followed man. him are still there to, to this day? Because, by the way, apparently this place is still there. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a fascinating thing Mike Cosper mentions that I think we actually have some expertise here in is that Scottsdale Mark is a different Mark Driscoll. Pastor Michael, we have reacted to dozens of clips on our for our patreon channel and we will continue to do so of scottsdale mark's uh new best sermon rants what, uh, scottsdale what... mark is actually a really great way to even just describe the difference <laughs> <laughs> so so why don't you uh tell our listeners you know the the, the hundreds of people who don't who are not yet uh patreon supporters um, what it what it is like to listen to Driscoll today compared to the Driscoll they know and love to hate as a as the the villain of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, so beforehand, you can get on the Patreon. You can do it right mm. now. I mean, you can just go right now and sign up for it. It's, it's only three dollars a month to be able to hear us talk about Scottsdale Mark. Uh, <laughs> but what we've been saying the whole time is, I mean, Scottsdale Mark is Boomer Mark Driscoll. I mean, mm. he just it's. It's all very canned. It's all very planned. Every once in a while, you'll see him break out into an actual rant that's not just completely prefabricated for YouTube clips. And it's like, whoa, like there was a little like moment where we're like, oh, yeah, there was something that we did like about this guy when he would go off on some of these rants. There was something intriguing about it. No wonder people were drawn to this. But it's just these little moments. And then he's up oh, back to the script and he's and, you know, his jokes are lame. And he's I mean, he's just he is a, a boomer Mark Driscoll now. And so, of course, he moved to Arizona, <laughs> you know, I mean, Scottsdale Mark. It just makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah, I, man, it is like. It is a shell of whatever you enjoyed or appreciated got out of the old, the old style of, of Driscoll preaching. I, I, one interesting thing is we had a listener. I'm not going to use their name. I don't know how much of this, how many of these details I should say, but 
they actually and this was not explained how did they get this huge building out of nowhere to immediately begin filling with hundreds of yeah. people right uh, how do you just again it's like there's this insane amount of right they go through the complicated and difficult things of breaking up mars hill as a by the way it tells me that every multi-site church that says yeah we're all going to become churches one day is like can't possibly be true because of how the financial like the financial structures essentially have made that impossible yeah um and so they walk through the difficulty of that but they don't walk through this question and again because i'm sure no one would talk to them about the like actual what it took for driscoll to go from in a year at mars hill to boom we're launching a thing with multiple services hundreds of people a full brand team in a year um but we had a listener reach out um based on um how they got this building that the building was owned by a pastor friends with robert schuler who you know this is the like make friends influence you know mega church guy and he was friends and wanted to do a similar thing in the phoenix area that congregation folded it didn't work out but the um rca's classes held on to the building and they've how they've uh been um kind of financing all this the congregations in the area for better or for worse has been just by renting it out to various mega churches who needed a space and when driscoll moved to the area they made a arrangement with him. And so while it's probably well known that the uh, RC as a whole, the structure, the whole denomination is struggling financially, spiritually, all kinds of problems. This specific classes, which is their word for presbytery, as I, I will feel free to quote this listener said, is flush with cash due to whatever <laughs> Driscoll and the Trinity Church is paying them for this building. Um, and so, again, just think about that. Somehow this was to go like. Someone found this place, negotiated it, rent it. Like, there's a lot that went into this. Man. Um, and and it was for, so quick after oh, yeah. the, they left that, like, this was, it's like this was uh, thought up right away. I mean, they had to start jumping into this right away. Like, how do you even know, like, oh, yeah, that's the right city. Like, location. Like, there's so many, there's so many steps. And obviously one of the insane things we mentioned uh which we've mentioned which comes out at this point which is one of the things that made uh mars hill and all these churches trying to spin off so difficult paying off debts mortgages breaking up was that so much of the churches the finance the money they had like on hand in a bank had to be paid because driscoll was given a six hundred and fifty thousand dollar severance package insane yeah well it was yeah so that's his severance because that was his yearly salary i know at that time yep so he just gets one year salary um which wow um yikes that yikes. just that just seems so absurd to me to I, be a minister of the gospel making that much money right I like don't. that just it seems just there i don't know how to rationalize it in a way that I can try to defend somebody that's making that much money from the ministry. Cause yeah. I, Cause I'll just, I, maybe it's, and if it is, you can tell me if this is inappropriate to say, but like the entire, as we've mentioned, I'm involved in a church plant here with salaries for people, the entire church plant budget 
for the next years is lower than this one than this oh, yeah. one many, year many years. yeah right and so i you know like it's just it is crazy because it's notable that um presbyterians um often are not um they're not actually afraid of trying to pay pastors well and things that they're like when that's possible they happily do so but yeah i don't think that there is any way that you can say that this the gospel is being preached for anything but financial gain which paul said is something that will happen um and he noted but i don't i just don't know how at that level that can't be what what is basically happening it's just such a yeah it's such a ridiculous sum that and what a you know mess when you have someone that just implodes everything and now you have to pay him for a year right um i want to play one clip about the um the son of one of the pastors driscoll or whoever uh pretty unceremoniously fired and how this kid went down uh to the trinity church and uh tried to confront him because i thought this was again this was one of the like few times where we're like actually trying to cover something or someone actually trying to speak to Driscoll after the collapse. There was no guile. Eventually, Mark made his way out there too, to say hello to the people who'd waited to meet him. And then he, and then he saw me and we were shaking hands and he was like, oh, that Benjamin. I don't know if he said that exactly, but that, that was like the idea. He recognized who I was. And um, I just told him, hey, like, you know, I came down to see your church. Yeah, I told him I was there for the anniversary. And, uh, you know, I, and, I, and I never realized this, but yeah, I don't know how, how tall Mark is, but I was definitely looking down at him. But I just, I was just looking in his eyes and I just was like, hey, like, you know, there were a lot of things that happened in the past that, you know, weren't entirely, but, you know, I would say we're largely, you know, uh, we're, we're largely um, influenced by you. And I would just really appreciate if you gave my dad a phone call and just told him, you know, you're sorry for a few things that happened. Uh, like very, very non-confrontational. But yeah, he, he, he got extremely nervous and um, I don't think he really knew what to do. Like he was kind of in shock. And uh you know, he, he kept talking with me and he was like, well, your dad, you know, there were some things and just, you know, uh, uh, like, like now looking back at it, like, I'm not surprised at all. But at the time, I was just like, are you serious? Like, come on, man. It wasn't long before Mark was ushered away and Benjamin headed out too, accompanied by a security guard. When I was leaving, there was a guy who came out with me and it was the same guy who came in and me. And I was just like, do you have any family involved here? Like, or, you know, and he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, you might want to think twice about that. So. So here's one of the reasons I want to include that uh, other than, you know, sick burn on that short pastor guy. Um, that is that's. Yep. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like, what a power move. Obviously obviously again we are we have talked so much about so many ridiculous mega church things right that your pastoral greeting line right you've got your security guards and you know all that but here's my thought what if everyone who knew mark driscoll from mars hill just started showing up here for the greeting line to say would you call my dad or would you can we talk would you give me a call every week forever 
Yeah. Yeah, just start it right now. Hey, five people a week. Start yeah. heading down. Uh, maybe Christian today could fund it with the like untold amount of money they've made from this podcast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, what would that do? It'd be really interesting. And it would be a really interesting way to try to go about this, right? Because they talk in here about wanting some kind of, you know, reconciliation. They want some kind of change. A lot of the people involved in this podcast, one of the reasons that they agreed to do it is because they're hoping in a sense that something will come out of it. Um, so, yeah, I think that would actually be an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I, I really think so, because the the comparison they kind of give towards the end of the episode of this idea of like what repentance could look like is once again, uh, we have not treated him this way, but he's largely kind of been treated this way in the podcast. Sutton Turner is the example of repentance, which I really hope is true, right? We've been mm -hmm. pretty critical of him, but I do really hope uh, they describe him basically for a year kind of going around and trying to meet with everyone he can uh, yep. to try and reconcile relationships. And so obviously that move alone, like obviously puts him in a different category of Driscoll. Definitely. Um, I, and, and so when we're, I, so I think I should be clear. I think when we're criticizing it, we're criticizing how the story is handled, not necessarily what he did afterwards. Right. Cause it's, it's of course, I hope and entirely possible he did the right thing right yep. with these people along the way. But I think you have a really, a, a really powerful chance to try and differentiate him and Driscoll. And where I want the differentiation to happen is how did they respond to all of this? Yeah. But the problem is what we get along the way is we kind of soft sell Sutton Turner's involvement in everything. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm coming in, I'm trying to fix the, you know, like, dude, it's pretty clear you were kind of the ax man, like mm -hmm. based on anything. And so what really, and like, even as an important thing is we're going to come to here as we uh, talk about the other thing they choose to chase in this episode, all the really pain we have to acknowledge is dude, then what we need to do is we need to like truly paint what he was doing and what he was like. And from there, let, let the repentance happen, not mm. be like, well, this guy's not Driscoll and he repented. No, it needs to be like this guy as bad Driscoll and he repented. And that is what Driscoll needs. Like that is the path forward for him. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I just think that there's a, there's a, there is an opportunity there, but mm. um, the other thing they, and that again, maybe it is what is interesting to Christianity today. Maybe it is because of the interviews they had available. Now they do talk about some of the churches that were started from Mars Hill, but they really spend a good majority of the time on personal reflections, people describing what it was like for them personally, or the small group of people they knew after they left Mars Hill, by the way, uh, belief ad network, I guess, uh, love to have you on the show or have you sponsor our show because this episode of Christianity Today was basically a two-hour ad for you guys. So that's that was good um, marketing on your part. That was a that was smooth, guys. We love it. Um, but I think that there are some things we um, there are some things we can learn from it, and maybe some things we should watch out for. I guess 
I don't think we are going to in this episode, we're not going to pick apart these stories that people tell. Um, I think that that potentially, um, again, I think that there are, I don't think every story is created equal. I think there are times where one side's going to seem clear until you hear from the other. And this yeah, is, and that's just a good reminder yep. that like in the end we have, uh, like, yeah, a lot of compelling evidence um, about the various like abuses of power and things like that, that that uh, Driscoll had. We see a lot of issues and in no way is what I'm saying here defending him. Right. But this is an opportunity for literally anybody that wants to to come out of the woodwork and say whatever they want about right. Driscoll. You know, even this interaction with this guy who goes down there to like meet with him. We don't we don't know what that actually looked like. And we all right. know what it's like to like have interactions that are kind of confrontational and like spin them in a way that makes us sound really good right. after the fact. And so like, just remember the whole of this podcast is certain people giving their side of things and sometimes corroboration, you know, right. but it's not always there and, and maybe it won't always be. And that's like, it's still something that maybe we can learn from, but you just want to be careful as you're making judgments about these things. And, and the, and one of the big things you should be able to tell if you, if you listen to this is there are certain narratives about abuse and how we define it and all of those things that are very tied up into the kinds of stories they're telling. And so I think the challenge of listening to this podcast is the challenge we have today where, for example, domestic violence is real abuse and really happens and is really mishandled often. But there are lots of things that get equated with the term of abuse that aren't like that at all. Right. Like I'm unhappy in my marriage. And it's so therefore the it must be some kind of traumatic thing it must be some kind of abuse um and that allows me to leave it and be justified in what i'm doing right. um, that's not always the case right right that's right and so i think yeah I, I think as i listen to this man to the people that very clearly were hurt and actually harmed i'm just i'm very sorry for you and i think the yes. thing i think one of the things that i really learned um as i listened to this as i thought about this Man, it is actually very hard to help people. Mm. Yeah. And and I and I had this kind of realization as I think about older pastors that I know. And and you can think about this yourself. If and maybe Pastor Michael, you can tell me if this is your experience. Older pastors are much less like gung-ho, let's get in there and try and get in and fix this. They're yeah. they're very, they're more reserved. And the goals they seem to have when they are trying to help people and counsel them are way more modest. They yes. are very much there. Yeah, I'm not. I, and I, I think as a young man, I can be like, man, it kind of feels like you're hedging your bets or like we're not. Um, but I, I just wonder if they if there is a wisdom of just how hard it really is to help people. Yeah. And an well, acceptance and just of limitation. Think about the ways that people grow and change, how much time that takes. Think about even little things that you've dealt with. Um, let's just say you're listening to this and you haven't had any like major traumatic events in your life, but you had like, you know, some uh, pretty uh, difficult times with, say, your parents or maybe with, a, uh, you know, a pastor of the church or something like that. It wasn't abusive. It, it, you know, it's, it doesn't rise to that level, but like you had some pretty significant, um, you know, conflict 
And think about how long you've carried that with you. And even when you think about it now, even if you feel like it's more or less resolved, you might like, you still feel it deeply and it still causes you some kinds of, of disruption in your day-to-day life. Uh, now imagine that times just like an unbelievable number right. um, for those who have experienced serious abuse and, and real trauma. And I think that this wisdom of not feeling like we have to, man, we got to jump in and change everything right now. We got to, we got to look for every problem. We got to look under every stone. This, by the way, reminds me of just the approach. Um, number one, just the mega church evangelical approach in general of, Hey, here's this program. It's going to mm. solve all your issues, right? We get you in this program. We get you in this life group. We get you in whatever. And I just think that any of these big box solutions to anything, just discount the reality that everybody is so different and their experience is so different. And the the things that they've gone through is so different that like it's it's so hard on any kind of, you know, large level to say, hey, we we package this product that will fix your problems. And here we just roll it out for everyone. Um, it just, people don't work that way. People are not that way. And what you really need are shepherds that know all their sheep. The sheep know their their shepherd's voice. He knows the ones that are like, they're stubborn as all get out and I can't pull them or push them. I just got to let them go on their own. And he knows the ones that are like, Hey, they'll just follow me no matter what. He knows the ones that you got to bring some oats out just to get them to like follow you around. You got to give some kind of, you know, feedback, some kind of encouragement. He knows the ones that if I put them in this fence, they're going to try to get out. And those that if I put them in this fence, they're never even going to question if Mm. they could get out, you know, and like, and I speak as somebody who raises sheep, (laughs) but this is what sheep are like. And this is what people are like too. Um, And so what a... Yeah, what a good lesson to learn uh, about not being gung ho about just the reality that you know uh, you can't approach all problems in the same way. Also, the the potential damage then when you do this kind of thing that Mars Hill did, where it was like, hey, you get inside of a life group and you got to share every deep dark oh. thing that's ever happened to you. Oh, oh I have man, we've on talked this. about this. Oh man, and and they use the word. They actually use a word, and I and I don't typically like to adopt um, the the language of sociologists, but right. They call this trauma bonding, right? Where it's like the thing we should all do is we should all just explain all of our deepest, darkest things to each other right away. And that, and then I'm like, what I realized is so much of like, I mean, churches is obviously in this case, but Christian camps, uh, parachurch ministries, all these kinds of things. They use trauma bonding as a ministry model. They do. This is ever, it's not just Mars Hill, right? No, this is a, no. this is a huge thing throughout evangelicalism. Yes. And it's a major problem. <laughs> it's, it's a major problem. Uh, it's, it's just so easily abused and it so easily destroys people. And you heard that in this episode. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to listen to some of this. And again, it treats all of these different situations as if they're the same. And as if the people that go through them are going to be the same and be able to receive help in the same way. And that just, it just completely destroys the possibility of helping many. Yeah. I I mean, again, I, I just think that, and it obviously makes sense for a person that when you when you say all the like deepest darkest things to someone else and they do it back and whatever like that's going to feel very profound 
Mm. Right. No doubt. Like that's yep. going to feel like, um, especially if most of your problems are like suburban people, like problems, like, right. So like human problems, light, we might call them. Sorry. Sorry. If you're in the, from the suburbs like me and you have real problems, uh, but right. Like a lot of these things where, where they're done in very like young adult ministry type settings, like, I don't know how they would handle it. If someone with like, well, I'm here to tell you about all the horrible issues of abuse I've struggled with my whole life. Like, I don't know. Like, I think it would be completely destructive mm. in these settings. One of the things that I noticed listening to this episode again is that it felt like it didn't know how it was going to end mm. because there was this desire very clearly to say, yeah, what a messy, horrible situation. But look at all the ways that God still worked and used it. But especially because the primary audience that I think Mike Cosper is going for is the deconstructing evangelical, right? Is yep. the like the the disaffected, maybe doesn't even call themselves a Christian anymore. Those are the people he's actually trying to go for. Yes. Because of that, because it's a high priority for most of these types of people that they talk a lot about the problems and the pain and the criticisms they have. Uh, I It seems to me like Mike Cosper wanting to talk about the good things felt like, well, we can't end on what was good because if we talk about the good things that God did in the midst of the problems, that's like saying that there weren't real problems. It's not mm. as big of a deal. And, and we discount people's trauma and so it just felt like they kept going back and forth, back and forth between, oh man, look at all these good things. Oh, but that doesn't mean it was a good thing, right? Like it's, we right. don't think it was good. It was good. It was still bad. Like, you know, for those of you who are angry, we, oh man, we get you. And here's some good things, but that doesn't mean, you know, it just felt right. really like they didn't know where to end it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think in our next episode, I think that our, what you're saying is basically going to agree with the, the 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 thesis I have staked out. I think there's there's I mean there's obviously plenty of things we could talk about, but there's maybe two things that this reminds me of that makes that makes me want to leave it. I'll just say that um, again, a lot of a lot of the questions that get asked in this section of the episode, which I think we're going to kind of leave behind, is where's the fault? What is the uh, what do we blame for this kind of abuse? So we're going to bring up things like complementarianism and we're going to bring up these things. We're going to bring the up the leadership structure again. And again, not opposed to bringing up possible answers to this question. But I will just say that listening to this episode, the two most abusive um, counseling situations both involved an intense version of a kind of charismatic theology where a woman was being told that she needed to wait on a word from the Lord until she was told to stay with her husband, who apparently self-confessed to domestic violence. Um, and then where they attempted to do a demon trial, a thing they talked about earlier in the uh, the series with a man with mental illness, right? And so I just, I know we've pointed this out a number of times. It's crazy to me that the theology that, makes that kind of pastoral ministry make sense gets a pass i'm not saying because there are plenty of charismatic people and obviously lots of continuationist people who don't practice anything like that yep 
but it is it is aggravating to such a high degree perhaps because i'm a person who holds the theology that they actually do blame for these things that there's an entire active section or or the even the like mega church pentecostal guys who never get held accountable right that there is an entire structure of theology that exists to hold up these kinds of things that we don't have to blame we don't need 25 minutes on this in the last episode for whatever yeah. reason yeah it is it is striking um maybe especially as we come to a close um with this podcast where the blame is laid outside mm-hmm. of driscoll himself right everybody agrees right. dude that guy's to blame uh, yep. for a lot of this stuff right uh but besides that when we talk about um, the church structures, the theological backing um, that it's kind of held up as, well, this is one of those things that we should probably be looking at as, as a reason for all that went down. It's, I think it's important actually to notice, okay, what isn't mentioned, Mm. right? For instance, there was a whole episode bonus episode that, that they do on this podcast about um, the Christianity today and how it evidently was like, you know, the organization itself was prone to certain kinds of abuse or something like that, or, you know, sexual misconduct. And so they were reported on themselves on this podcast, because that's one of the things that this has been about. Um, but w- whenever we're talking about like mega church evangelicalism, I don't see how Christianity today gets a pass on that. Mm. You don't think they've propped up every single one of these people because they have stories. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like this is part of the whole business model has been playing off of these well-known big name people um, and, you know, talking about their books and their conferences and everything like that. So um, even that just, you know, remember where this is coming from. Yeah. And, and so I think perhaps maybe the last thing we should talk about as we and this is starting to run into what we're going to do in the next episode. But having this discussion of abuse, I think we want to leave it here. Um, it is interesting that part of the blame for how these kinds of abusive situations were entered into was due to the hubris of these pastors who thought they could handle these situations when they couldn't. Now. I'm I'm I want Pastor Michael to leave us with what the church is competent for, because there is a part of this that might be true, but there's a part of this that left me concerned. For example, um, right. The fact that when a a man is self a is a self-admitted abuse of his spouse, I think repentance as a pastor for him would be saying, turn yourself into the police and see what they do. Yeah, right. This there is because there are things that the pastor has not been given to that other authorities in the world have been given to calling the police in those cases is 100 percent the right thing to do and necessary. But what becomes concerning then is. um, Well, don't you just need to hire professional counselors like they start going through all the ex like there's a the Western culture today is a, we have a increasing cult of experts on everything, everything. And so what I'm concerned is, you know, if we want to, let me give one small case before I, I've just passed this over to pastor Michael is in the case of this 
in this uh, abuse, right? Obviously calling the police, they're needing to sort out the actual physical safety harm. Like uh, if there is actually crime, like if there is an actual crime, like that's their job to figure out, not mine. Mm -hmm. However, if this couple is going to ever reconcile, which may not happen, but certainly happens in some cases, it would seem to me the pastor on the biblical on what that would mean biblically is the precise person right mm-hmm. that that is something that they would have to something to say about not everything perhaps there might be other things that need to there might be other people brought in i don't know but i just yeah so i get this like i don't know i i don't want to give up the role of the pastor in a person's life yeah. and i don't want pastors to be afraid of taking the role of a pastor in my or anyone else's life. Um, I obviously agree with perhaps this, some of the specific situations that they say were mishandled, which they do mention. Well, then the church created a policy document of what you have to do. Right. And I'm sure it was things like call again. It's just, it's wild. I mean, it's, it's a wild mega church problem that they're having to create policy statements on what to do when people report abuse you know like i again there's a scale here i can't imagine Mm. but it just leaves me wondering and thinking about what the church is competent to do in their mind and in reality yeah i don't know how much more i would add just because uh, it's so messy and uh, there are clear lines in regards to things like there's a crime. If there's a crime right. involved, call the police. That's it. I mean, there's no like it's not a it. And again, doesn't mean that you're not going to still be involved. Right. right. Then you're maybe visiting this guy in jail and talking to him about what repentance looks like. And you're talking to the spouse about, hey, what, what does this mean for you? What does it mean for the marriage? What, you know, biblically speaking, like how did how do you heal? How do you learn how to, uh, you know, um, both, you know, uh, trust God and trust others and to uh, forgive in a situation that is absolutely horrific? You know, I mean, it. there are so many different like elements um, that, I think it's it's good and right and necessary for the pastor to be involved in. And there's obvious elements that I think um, the pastor doesn't, it's not the role of a pastor mm. to be involved in. The messy part to me is in basically the, just the overwhelming amount of mess for lack of a better word. I'm um, just sure. the, the overwhelming amount of, Hey, we're several generations into broken families. It's not like, Hey, you know, I grew up in a somewhat stable environment and now something really hard happened. It's, Hey, this is generations of, uh, of abuse and trauma and things like that. Um, and that to me is just, it's harder in the sense that there are going to be actual, like, physical, mental issues that arise from that, that it's very likely that you might not be super competent in handling. Right. However, um, even when you're not competent in like handing every detail of it, I think to then be like, Hey, yeah, pastors, like this is the role for like, uh, 
therapist or something um, is to discount what God has given in that, like what you do have is you have the scripture and you can speak the word of God into these situations um, in a way that no one else has been commissioned to do. And if there's going to be true, lasting, everlasting healing of anybody, it's only going to come through the healing hand of God who speaks through his word and works through uh, his appointed means in the church. And so um, it, you know, while it's, it's messy and difficult, I do um, I, I am very concerned about those that would try to relegate the role of the pastor to something like, Hey, you do a couple things on Sunday mornings and that's about it. Uh, because I think that people need the word of God spoken into their life. Part one of After the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill is now in the books. Please, if you haven't, I we, we don't ever really say this kind of thing. Please go and subscribe. Click subscribe on our podcast feed and your podcast catcher if you're listening to this from somewhere. Yep. If you could also just go ahead and leave a review if That'd you've be been great. listening and um, leave a review for us. We know there's so many of you that have not reviewed the show and we're not great at reminding you. I know as a avid podcast listener, I very regularly hear, Hey, go, go subscribe. And I just, you know, never do it or Hey, go, go review. And I just never do it. But every once in a while, I get the reminder and I think, Oh yeah, that'd be easy to do right now. And so I do it. So I, hopefully if you're hearing this, that's you. You've never done it. You've heard us say it. Go ahead and do that. And if you let us know that you've done that, we will send you a sticker. We'll send you a restless sticker. We've got a bunch of them. We'll send it to anybody that wants to review the podcast as long as you contact us and let us know that you did it. Boom. That's a good deal.